You know, as we look forward to 2024, just a couple simple questions here for you. First, who do you want to be in 2024? Uh, not just what do you want to do, like what you do matters, that's good, that's important, but really what you do comes out of who you are, right, your character. Who do you want to be in 2024? And second question that is similar, what do you, um, who, does, who, who is God calling you to be in 2024? Who's God calling you to be in 2024? Now maybe those two really align or maybe they don't. And I encourage you this week, uh, maybe the next couple days, we've got a holiday tomorrow, to take some time, maybe journal about this or pray about this. Give it some thought and, and spend some time in prayer saying, God, who do you want me to be in 2024? I just, I just want to put my life in your hands, to trust you, to be my Lord, to be my leader. It's kind of what we come here to do this day. In fact, towards, uh, after the message, we're going to sing another song. Um, I'm going to encourage you to come forward at that time. Maybe uh, if you're here with your family, uh, to come forward as a family. If you're here by yourself, to come forward yourself. That's fine. Um, but just to say, Lord, we want to give ourselves to you this day. We want to commit our family. We want to commit our relationship. I want to commit myself to you, God, uh, that I want to be all yours in 2024. A new year marks a new beginning, an opportunity to kind of reevaluate some things, right? Uh, to look at our lives and say, what's working, what's not working? Almost a bit of a reset, you know? And, and a reset can be a really great thing. This past week, uh, Jennifer and I went back to um, town that we grew up in, Peoria, Illinois. It's not really our home. I haven't lived there since I was 18 years old. But, but uh, we have our relatives there, and uh, it's always good to see folks. Whenever I go back there, I am never bored. Like, there's never a dull moment because some of you play this role as well. I am the family IT guy. Any other family IT guys out there or girls? Yes, uh-huh, right? And uh, that doesn't mean, like, I'm a real IT guy. I'm not. But it just means I know more than my relatives know, which is not saying much, okay? Not saying much at all. And, and the thing is, every family IT guy lives by one simple phrase, right? When we're asked questions, we say, have you tried turning it off and on again? And some of you have been asked that by your family IT person, right? And you tell them, oh, that won't fix it. It does fix it. Just try it, okay? It, try it. Like if my parents could have learned that phrase a long time ago, they could have written me out of the will. They wouldn't need me in their life anymore. They'd be fine and dandy, right? But a good reset, it, it, it really is important. A reset kind of helps us to take a new, a fresh look, a different angle at things. Like sometimes maybe you've been working on a problem late at night. You've been working on something or other or thinking about something. You just can't get it. And you're frustrated. You go to bed. In the morning you wake up and like 10 minutes later you got this thing solved, right? You just, you needed a little bit of a reset. You needed some time to reflect. And as we start this new year, it gives us an opportunity to do that um, in our spiritual lives as well. To say, God, what? What, how, who are you calling me to be? What are you calling me to change? What maybe new things to add or old things to take away, sins to, to cast off or distractions that I don't need or new callings that you have for me? How, God, can I be faithful to you 
in this new year? How can I be faithful with the new opportunities that you give me? Now, some of us, we may automatically at this time of year, we may kind of go into a little like reactive mode and be like, eh, I don't want to do that. And the reason I don't want to do that is because I've tried it before. I mean, every year about this time, people talk about this same thing, and it just doesn't work. I make some resolution, like, I'm going to lose a certain number of pounds, or I'm going to gain a certain number of pounds, or I'm going to get some new friends, or I'm going to make some more money, or I'm going to get a promotion, or I'm going to retire, whatever the thing is, and then it just doesn't happen. And so what's the point? It's not really anything new. It's just another day, whatever. It's easy to get cynical about that. Because sometimes we may have made decisions like this, but we didn't really take the steps to follow through, right? We Maybe for a couple weeks we were all gung-ho, and then, you know, we got busy and we went back to our old stuff. Or maybe sometimes we just pack in so much. We pack in so much stuff that it's really hard because we're so busy pursuing all of these good things that we miss out on the great things that the Lord has for us. Remember, I've encountered this, uh, it was kind of my first, like, dilemma as a young adult. Um, I went off to college, and I was overwhelmed by all these good opportunities there were. Like, my life had just got, like, a total reset. I was in a new area, new friends, new people around, all all these things, and all these opportunities. And I just started saying yes to to all of them, right? So that my, my freshman year, I was on the, the group that planned activities at, counts, at campus. I got to manage the computer lab. I was the captain of the worst soccer team in college history, by the way. Don't be impressed. We were horrible team, right? High school team would have beat us any day. Um, I was um, I was uh, dating uh, that girl who did the announcements earlier, long distance, right? And uh, that was awesome. And um, I also, oh, oh, I had classes in there too, if I remember right, right? And so there was a lot going on, so many, so many good things, and I found myself just overloaded and uh, struggling to, to succeed at anything that I was really doing. And so then, and I had the, the thought of like, I really need to evaluate. You know, I need to spend some time, and I need to give this some thought and some prayer, right? But then I decided to order a pizza instead, right? And like not worry about it then. And I kept on repeating that cycle for a while of whenever I would face these challenges, just kind of ignore it, you know, and just keep on doing what I was doing. Well, that was until I made a decision. It was a, it was a financial investment that I made that it would literally change my life. It was um, January of 2000, and there was a guy in our dorm named Nick. And Nick was the resident uh, investment expert, right? And Nick was making tons of money uh, in tech stocks and was preaching to all of us about how we, too, should be doing this. Well, I didn't know a lot about that. I knew a little bit about investing, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, But I knew I had $2,000 left from my um, summer construction job that I'd done before, and I didn't really have a use for it. I'm like, this sounds awesome, right? Like, I need to do this. And I didn't, of course, do the research that I needed to do um, about things like, say, market bubbles and price-to-earning ratios and all this kind of stuff. I just bought, and, and I diversified. I bought four different tech stocks, mind you. And I very quickly turned $2,000 into $486. And it was devastating. And I finally realized, because it cost me, I finally realized how foolishly I was living. 
I was just saying yes, 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 and not really, not really discerning. Are these really God's directions for me? Are these the right things to be doing? Am I just doing them because they're opportunities? And, and none of them were like evil, awful things, but I wasn't living wisely. I wasn't living according to the Lord's guidance. I was living according to John's guidance and whatever next idea came into my head at the time. You know, many of us, we live lives that are full of many good things. Maybe you've got a good job, or you've got, you've got wonderful children or grandchildren or whatnot, or you uh, have good hobbies, um, ways that you like to spend your time. You've got this, that, or the other thing going on, and you've got so many good things that sometimes it's really hard to hear the voice of the Lord. Because some, so many times we're so wrapped up in all of these things and so consumed by them all that we don't just take that step back and, and um, ask, Lord, who are you calling me to be? The book of Jeremiah has a verse you probably have heard before, maybe even memorized. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. What a great verse. Like, if you read that, it should bring a smile to your face, right? Like, that is such amazing news that the, this is the Lord's will for us. This is, this is the word of the Lord for us. And it's an awesome verse. It's also one of the more misunderstood verses in the Bible. Because oftentimes we read it, but we don't really read the context around it. And with any Bible verse, you've you got to understand what's happening in the passage around it. So Jeremiah, who writes this, He's speaking on behalf of the Lord because he's a prophet. That's his job. And so as Jeremiah's writing, he's actually writing at one of the most difficult times um, in the history of Israel. What had happened is the people, uh, the, the nation had divided a long time ago uh, into two. Uh, you had the ten tribes of, of Israel, and then you had Judah and Benjamin. Uh, and then they, the northern tribes, the ten tribes, had been unfaithful. And they sometimes would be faithful, but oftentimes not. And so they kind of live like this, but they kind of get getting lower and lower and lower. And eventually the Lord allowed them to be conquered by their enemies. This is about 100 years before Jeremiah. And so they are hauled away by the Assyrians. They are dispersed, uh, not to be put back again. Okay, this is, where, this is it for them. It's game over. So now you have Judah and Benjamin, and you'd think this would kind of be a wake-up call, right? But not really. They continued basically to live the same way, to continue to live in disobedience. And while there were moments of good, there were oftentimes they were highly disobedient. And so during Jeremiah's time, he's warning them and telling them, you've got to change. The, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take us over and the Lord's going to let this happen because of our disobedience. And the people don't like it. In fact, they get so fed up with it, they put Jeremiah in prison. And that's where Jeremiah is when the Babylonians come and they take over just as he predicted. And so many of the people, not all, but many of them are hauled off to Babylon because Jeremiah was in prison at the time. He wasn't. He would ultimately be hauled off to Egypt. And he would write these words uh, in basically as a letter or a prophecy to the people who had been taken away into Babylon. So this is a tough time. This is a bad time. And, and the people are crying out to the Lord. They're like, okay, Lord, we get it. We screwed up. We're sorry. Um, can we go home now? Can, can this end? Like, and, and they had prophets, false prophets, who were like, yep, don't worry. The Lord's going to come. He's going to save us real soon. Keep your bags packed. You're not going to be here a long time. Just a short-term thing. And Jeremiah is like, 
No, <laughs> that's actually not the case. So we go earlier in that chapter, uh, chapter 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city to where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This was not good news. Okay, the people are like, hey, we want to go home. And Jeremiah's like, no, that's not actually God's plan. Like, someday, yes, but not anytime soon. In fact, the timeline is so long. If you're not married, you need to get married. You need to have babies. Because then they need to get married and they need to have babies because you're going to be here a long time. You need to pray for this city of Babylon that it would prosper and succeed because this is now going to be your hometown for quite some time. The Lord has you here and this is what your life is going to be. This was hard. This was a hard word. It was the opposite of what they wanted. They wanted to hear they were going home but this is not. It, It had to feel so defeating for them. C.S. Lewis, a famous theologian of the past century, he said it this way. He said, all genuine religious conversions are blessed defeats. All genuine religious conversions are blessed defeats. We say, wait, time out. What what about victory in Jesus? I want to sing that one. That sounds a lot better than that stupid idea, right? Well, of course, we have victory in Jesus over sin and death. All 100% true. But in order for that to happen, I surrender, I must surrender my life to the Lord as my leader. And that's what he means by a blessed defeat. That instead of living for John, instead of doing everything my way, and then saying, God, would you kind of, you know, would you bless this? Uh, No, I want to live God's way to say, God, what do you have me here for? What are you calling me to do? How can I live a life that's more holy, that's more set apart for you? How can I be obedient to your call? How can I be obedient to your word? How can I grow more and more like you? That's what I want to do. I want to defeat this sinful self that wants to sit on the throne. And I want to give myself to you more fully, God. That's what conversion, that's what real change is all about. It's a surrendered spirit. And and sometimes when we read that Jeremiah 29, 11, we think that it means that we say, okay, God, um, here's where I want to go to college, and here's the job I want to have, here's who I want to marry, here's how many children I want to have, here's how much money I want to make, what kind of house I want to live in, when I want to retire. All sound good, great. Could you get after that, God? Thanks. You promised it right there. And the problem is, <laughs> that means that I'm in charge, and God is like my heavenly assistant out there who's getting stuff done on my behalf. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. God is God. I am not. And I've got to get that straight before I can understand anything about what it means to follow Jesus. That God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus, and when we give our lives to him, we're saying, Jesus, I need you to be my savior, and I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my leader. I am accepting the fact that my ways are not the best ways. That that your ways are actually better than mine. That if I would live for you, it could actually be better. Pastor Jonathan told me a story about a woman. I don't know her name. Call her Amber. She's uh, from Columbus. 
Amber had made a series of poor choices in her life. She had a tough life, and uh, she, had, she had turned to stealing. And after stealing multiple times, she got caught. She ultimately went to prison. And sometimes in prison, people really get bitter and angry and far away from God. Amber did just the opposite, that she, she gave herself to the Lord, and, and she decided to make Jesus the Lord of her life. And she got out, and she had a few things still from those days of stealing. And Amber did something radical to set a new course. She took those things, and she sold them, and she gave the money to the poor, like a modern-day Zacchaeus kind of thing. And then she moves into this little one-bedroom apartment, and she gets her job, and she does the best she can at that job. And when she saves up some money, she takes some painting classes, and she becomes this wonderful artist who's just, God has given her this gift, right? And her life is completely turned around because of this. And her pastor asked, us, asked her, what, what changed for you? And she said this, when you've been caught, you have nothing to hide. When you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. When you have nothing to fear, oh my, what you can become. <laughs> I like that. When we stop living in fear and instead give our lives to the Lord and say, God, what can I become by your strength, by your power? What if I live my life for you instead of just trying to live for me? And this is what had happened to God's people there in the book of Jeremiah. God had allowed them to be conquered by a man so that they would learn to be surrendered to their God. And they were going to be there a long time. This process, this heart change, it wasn't going to happen quick. It was a period of, of 70 years. But it, Babylon would not be their for, forever home. And so Jeremiah speaks these words of hope. Jeremiah 29.10 says, this is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you will look to me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. See, there's so much hope here. He says, look, Timeline's going to be different than you want. In fact, a lot of you, you're not going back home. It's going to be your kids or it's going to be your grandkids who go back home. But I'm faithful. I'm faithful to my word because I'm doing something in you that is deeper than what you understand right now. I'm making a change in you. I'm setting you apart again as, as my people. And these people, they would go back home ultimately. And ultimately, these people would be the ones through whom Jesus Christ would come. And God would continue to be faithful to his people, Israel, and to the entire world through them. That he would do just as he promised, that he would send his son, Jesus, that the whole world could be changed, could be blessed through him. You know, there's so much hope when we live a life that is set apart for Jesus. When we understand that God's purposes are really, they must be our first priority. A number of years ago, Rick Warren wrote a famous book, many of you read, called The Purpose Driven Life. And it starts off by saying this, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. 
It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. Friend, you may have been thinking that you're here for your own entertainment, your own fulfillment, your own job, your own wealth building, your own rat race winning, your own. No, you're here for the Lord's purpose. That when you give your life to him, you're a member of like the kingdom of God right here on earth. Like we, we are now like God's plan for, for spreading the good news here on this earth. That God takes and he uses us. He sets us apart. He calls us for his plan, for his purpose. And so as we enter a new year together as a church, as individuals, as family, so we say, Lord, would you take us and would you use us? We, we want to be used for you and by you. We want to live lives that are set apart for you, that are transformed by you. I, I'm tired, God, of playing this old failing game of trying to control everything myself, trying to have everything my way, trying to do it all my own way. God, I want it to be your way. I want to live for you. Because here's the bottom line. 2024 is almost here. We're going we're gonna to welcome it tonight. And I'm betting that 2024 is going to bring some really incredible things in our lives as, as individuals, as families, as a church. I believe that God is going to do amazing things, greater things than we could ask or imagine. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what God will do. And I also believe that there's going to be challenges too. We know this because we're still sinful humans living in a sinful planet. There's still going to be division. There's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be suffering. We, we know this to be reality, right? I don't go into 2024 just saying, oh, it's, it's all going to be fine and good. There will be challenges. In fact, one of the things that humbles me most as a pastor is that every year we bury people that we never thought we would bury. For some of us, 2024 could literally be our last year on this planet. And as we enter it together, are we going to just live for the same old, same old? Or are we going to give our lives to the Lord? And say, Jesus, would you be the Lord? Would you be the leader? Would you take me and would you use me? I'm tired of doing this all for myself. I'm tired of living my own way. I don't want that anymore, God. I just, I want you. I want you. I don't have anything else of value if I don't have you. I don't have any purpose if I don't have you, my, my, my plans, my ambitions, all this, God, I, I put it before your throne. Because you are Lord, you are Savior, you are worthy, God. You are worthy of my praise, you are worthy of my adoration. My life, it's not my life, God, it's, it's a gift from you. I want to be spent for you, God. I want to be used for you. I want to be faithful to you, God. I, I don't want to do this on my own. I can't do this on my own, God. I give it to you. I give it to you because I trust you. Because, God, I recognize that you have always been pursuing me. You have always been coming after me. Your grace has been so prevalent, so present in my life. Times when I didn't even know it, God, you were there for me. You were calling, for, calling to me. And God, I confess that I've messed lots of stuff up. I've, I, I've done it my own way so many times. I've disobeyed. 
or I've filled my life with so much stuff I could barely hear your voice. And God, I'm sorry. I want to live for you. I want to live a life that is truly sold out for you. I'm so thankful that you never gave up. And I'm so thankful that you're not giving up today. And I'm thankful that on this New Year's Eve, that we can come together as, as families, as individuals, as a church, and say, here we are, God. Take us. Use us. Transform us for your glory, for your kingdom. That truly that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here at Anderson Hills Church, here on earth as it is in heaven. So be it, Lord. We love you, God. We give ourselves to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.